You know, it's funny, uh, <clears throat> when I get stuck, when I'm uh, preaching a sermon, and God has a way of showing me, uh, like, you know, here, yeah, you see this, you get it. I wasn't sure how I was going to begin this sermon. I've been wrestling with it all week. And then uh, this morning, uh, I got up, I can't ever sleep on Saturday night. I got up about four and came to church and, and was getting ready for today. And and so I, plenty of time, I'm, I'm getting ready to go out about 10 till 6 to go back home and, and shower and shave and, and then go eat breakfast and uh, and I go out and uh, bring my, my Bible and my three waters back here to, to where I have them stocked up. And, uh, and then I realize I have this bad habit. Maybe you have this habit. I have this bad habit of taking out my keys to get into my office, which is two offices, two doors. And then I just lay them on the counter. And then uh, when I get up to go out, often when I'm thinking about what I'm going to do next, I leave the keys right where they were laying. I can't get in my office at 5.45 in the morning. So, what do I do? Well, I often take a shower here. So I thought, at least I can do that. And then I just sat and waited. I wasn't going to call anybody that early in the morning to come let the stupid preacher in his office. Oh, sorry, I shouldn't say stupid. The lack of common sense intelligent preacher in his office, and so I didn't, and I tell you, it was a long 50 minutes, till Cliff finally pulled into the, not, not finally, he was on time, I was just, and you know how that is, sometimes people's coming means more than others, and even more, I want you to understand this, I think God waits for you to come. He doesn't force himself on any of us. But Christmas is all about coming. Somebody asked me last week, what, is the, what does the word Advent mean? And in some Christian traditions, they celebrate the Advent wreath. Advent simply means the coming, the, the beginning. And it's specifically, it's talking about that God, through his son Jesus, he became flesh, Emmanuel, and, and he came to dwell among us, and that changed everything. He came. But today you've come, and God wants you to come to worship every week. God wants you to come. And you know, in this season, lots of folks uh, come to worship. They come to church that, that don't come any other time, or seldom do they come. I read some statistics this week. On Christmas Eve, 47% of Americans will go to a church service. And you might say, well, that's, that's pretty good. Uh, well, it, it's really good when you understand that 18% of Christians on a given Sunday are in worship services. So what that means is 90 million people across this country will be at a church service on Christmas Eve. So I, I say this to you to invite your friends, your family of folks to come to our Christmas Eve services, but even more to understand this, that it is not just for one or two or four times a year that we want to come. We want to come expecting to hear from God 
regularly, coming, expecting to worship, coming. You know, the, there's a, a phrase uh, that we use in worship. I don't call it that, but usually when I come out to do the greeting, I do something like uh, a call to worship. Maybe you know there's a, a psalm, there's several psalms that, that are calls to worship. And one in particular, Psalm 95, is what we're going to look at today. For the next four weeks, uh, three after this week, we're going to have uh, a chance to think about our Christmas conduct. Uh, think about uh, what God wants us to, to understand, what God wants us to feel, how he wants us to be uh, this Christmas, how he wants to affect us. And today I want to give you a Christmas call to worship through Psalm 95. I want to have you think with me about what this teaches us about worship, about coming before God, and about what his coming, Jesus' coming, means to us today. And in this Christmas call to worship, Psalm 95, I see three distinct calls that we're going to talk about today. Well, I want you to think about throughout this week and, and throughout this Advent season. Uh, until three weeks from today, we celebrate his birth, uh, worshiping here because it's on Sunday this year. Okay? Uh, think about that. And, and also... I hope you'll be thinking about folks you can invite uh, at any point during this season and, and certainly for uh, our Christmas Eve and Christmas Day services. So Psalm 95, I think, first gives us a call to engage, uh, a call to engage. <clears throat> what do I mean by that? Verses 1 through 5 read like this, uh, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Uh, let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. Uh, the sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Boy, it's, it's exciting. You read that in English, it's exciting. You read it in Hebrew, it's even more exciting. Hebrew is the language that this psalm was written in. It's saying what? You folks, come. And what you might not know is in uh, the Old Testament times, the times when David lived, uh, they would come at the time after David, uh, the, that period of the temple after David's son Solomon built the temple, uh, they would have to come to Jerusalem to worship. Now in modern day times, Jewish folks, and in the time of Jesus, they had synagogues in their little towns, but, but for many years, the Jews... Uh, they, to, uh, to be a good Jew, you just really worshipped uh, three times a year because you understood that God lived in the temple. He lived in the Holy of Holies in the temple in Jerusalem. And the other days of the year, they, they were encouraged to follow the Torah. They were encouraged to, to pray, and, but they couldn't actually sacrifice except at the temple in Jerusalem. And so let's say you live up in uh, Dan up in the north, uh, or maybe in Beersheba down to the south in ancient Israel, 150 miles apart, you couldn't worship except at uh, the temple in Jerusalem. Well, he's saying, call, he's calling the people of God to come and respond to God, to come in this case, and bring their being, to bring their energy, to bring their passion 
come. So two questions come to mind. If we understand this as a call to engage, how do we come? How do we come? And think about how do we come to worship each week. Verses 1 and 2. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. That first come in Hebrew is the it's translated walk. <laughs> walk. Come on now. Down south, we, we, people would say, you, you might think this is just a TV sh- saying, but people would say, y'all come back now. Come, walk, walk on, make your way over here. Drive and then, then walk on in. Let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him. That word means to go up. Let us, it's a different Hebrew word. Let us go up before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Those are not passive, quiet words, are they? You know, this afternoon, some of us may uh, sit down before the television and watch a little game down in Atlanta, where I'm from. Lyle was singing our worship team. He came to me and said, boy, I bet you're conflicted today, and I am. (laughs) Chiefs playing the Falcons. But I'll guarantee you this, you watch the television, there will be people dressed up in all kinds of get-ups to support their team. Or you go to Airhead when they're here in town, and you see that, don't you? And are all those people sitting there like, You know what I'm saying? What are they doing? I heard a couple of you, and yeah, they're doing that, right? These are action verbs, right? Come, let us sing. Now, some of you say, well, you don't want to hear me sing. This does not say come and make a harmonious or melodious noise, does it? It says come make a joyful noise. You know, sometimes I hear... From this service, back after we do a song, somebody go, ooh, 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 like that. That's a joyful noise to them, right? But, but it might not be, you might yee-haw or whatever. Joyful noise. How do we come? Do we come to this place full of joy? I heard a preacher say one time, most Christians look like they were baptized in pickle juice. They come to church, just make me laugh, just touch my heart, just make me sing. That's why he's calling the psalmist here to worship. Uh, Maybe it would help us to read this every day. Come, let us sing for joy, let us shout aloud. To the rock of salvation, right? Let us extol him, which is a, a Hebrew word, which means to, to just yell it and lift it up. Let nobody be ashamed, is what he's saying, <laughs> to sing and to shout and to praise God. That, that alone is a teaching that we need to, to, to dwell on. And think about, as you come to worship every week, I'd encourage you not to come with your brain turned off. 
I'd encourage you not to come just out of duty because your parents told you you were supposed to go. I would encourage you to come opening yourself up to praise God. As Jesus told the woman at the world to, to praise him in his spirit and in truth. To engage not just physically by being present, but to engage spiritually and emotionally with God. And I also would tell you, this is not just for what we do on Sunday morning in our gatherings and worship. This is a, a lifestyle. Every day, worship God. Praise God. Shout to God. Sing to God. Right? I've told you this before. Uh, some of you probably would be appalled at the times I have of personal worship because I, I just I grew up with rock music. I just like different kinds of music than a lot of folks like. But when I'm by myself, you know what? I'm not worried about offending anybody else. I'm worried about praising my Jesus in my style, with my joy, with my voice, with my shouts. And I encourage you to do the same thing. Figure out what works for you, but be engaged. Be engaged. Why? That's the second question. Why do we come? Verses 3 through 5. Why, why should you shout for joy? Why should you sing? Why should you be engaged in worship? Becky, you got it? Why do we come? For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. <laughs> in their time, every, every people group had a god or many gods. But he's saying this is the, he is the one true God. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it. His hands formed the dry land. Those are powerful verses, aren't they? His hands. In his hands, he made these things. You know, listen, uh, that Hebrew word means to, it kind of gives you this idea of God just rolled up his sleeves and said, let's get to work. Can you imagine? You know, I've seen people, uh, sculptors make beautiful things with their hands, but, but I've never seen someone make a mountain i've never seen someone make an ocean and everything in it but but what this says the psalmist is saying is the reason you're going to worship him is because he is the great god you're going to worship him because his creative majesty his creative power and even more what i want you to think about today is that this same god who made these beautiful things around us who made this world that we live in Exactly what was needed for us to, to sustain our lives and to give us the blessings of creation. That same God is at work today in you. If you let him. He wants to continue to form, to transform, to bring his power and his effect and his change in your life. So that you can be a blessing and you can be blessed by him. He, he's working on you. So God, in your hands or in his hands are your marriage. In his hands are your hurts. In his hands are your joys. In his hands are your kids. In his hands are your finances. If you let him, that's, that's why we worship him. That's why we praise him. That, that's why we give our lives and our devotion and our attention all that we have to him. It's a call to engage. 
<clears throat> listen, it is, is God is a gentleman. He will not change you or transform you without you allowing him into your life. Call, a call to worship. God says, not just a thing you do uh, by rote or by tradition. It's a worship that needs all of you each and every day. Secondly, I see here in this psalm a call to bow down. A call to bow down. <clears throat> so there's a call to, to praise with your voice. And then there's a call to, to with your body, show uh, worship. To show surrender. To show submission. Uh, verse 6 to the first part of verse 7. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. That might seem repetitive to you, but uh, those words in Hebrew... Those verbs in verse 6, they all have, they end in Hebrew in the, with the sound A. And so they're very specific. He's saying uh, you bow down, which I uh, don't need to transliterate for you. That means to, to bow down. He says <clears throat> that's uh, in worship actually meant to bend your knees or uh, to fall on your face. And then uh, to kneel, to humble yourself comes from the, the Hebrew word barak, which means to, to uh, submit, to, to kneel for a blessing. All positions of what? All positions of humility. All positions of, of being open and surrendered to God. Being open to what he'll teach you. To be open to how he will touch you. To be open to how he, he can make your life different going forward than it was in the past. To... To surrender. That's a position you can't be proud in, isn't it? To be on your knees. To be on your face. You know, in India, they have a tradition. <clears throat> and you'll see it if you, you watch, uh, you ever go to India. There's a tradition where if folks feel like someone is superior to them in age or, or stature, you know, they have a caste system, they, they will actually put their hand to their lips and then they will bend down and touch the feet of the person that has more prestige or more position than them. It's a, a sign of uh, worship, uh, of obedience, of, a, of a saying, you're better than I am. Uh, you know, <laughs> you go over there and, and you would like, and I've never been able to go, but you would, I, I'm sure you would be, like people that would see you as a guest, they would see you as American, and, and they would start doing that. Too. Wouldn't that make you feel uncomfortable? So oftentimes we bow and we yield to things that are far inferior to God. What this says is, is let us surrender, not just with our bodies, but let us surrender with our person. Let us give him the worship. Let us give him the adoration that he deserves. And that's exactly what happened, right? As you see different folks encounter God through the Bible. This time of year, we talk about the three wise men, the magi, right? And we have it all confused with our traditions. You see the nativity scenes and you have the three wise men there looking like kings. And you need to understand, I, I hate to break this to you, but uh, those magi weren't there the night Jesus was born. You see, the star showed them they'd been looking because they were into astrology. They were looking for this sign 
uh, of the king of kings being born. And, and they knew, they had heard that they would be born in Bethlehem, south of Jerusalem. And, and they saw it, they're 500 miles away. They could not hop on a plane and get to Bethlehem in a couple hours. It took them a while. It's why Herod, when he reacted in, in jealousy and a fitful rage, he had all the, the boys under two slain. It probably, oh, I don't know, six months, nine months after. But what, I, that's not what I really want you to see. I want you to see that these men who had great wealth, they could travel that distance on a moment's notice. These men who had great wisdom, after all they were called magi, the, these people who occupied a prominent position in, in Persian culture, they drop everything and they go over uh, to this little backwater place and we read in Matthew 2.11 uh, 2, these words. Matthew 2.11. Got it? On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They bowed down to worship a peasant baby. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Over and over, we see this Christmas you understand the Magi have a powerful message to tell us. Even if they weren't there that night. They have a powerful message to show us. That they, though they were from a pagan background. They recognized the greatness of God. And they bowed down and worshipped him. This is a familiar refrain. In Luke chapter 5 we read this about Simon Peter. After Jesus appeared to him and, and caused them to have such a great catch of fish. Their nets overflowed. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus', Jesus knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. He fell before him. Philippians 2.10 says, at, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. I've told you this before. We'll either bow now or bow later. But at the name, every one of us should bow. I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you this week to spend some time on your knees before God. To spend some time. Now, I will say to you, I know as you're, some of you get older, your knees don't work as well, right? And you might kneel and not be able to get up. So if that's the case, it's not so important the physical position. What I think is even more important is is the condition of your heart to kneel before him, to surrender before him. So many things occupy our party list sometimes before what is most important. And, and here is what I'm saying to you. Bow down and worship to him. That's a powerful message of Christmas. Bow down before him. But that's not the last call. Now, see, if you had heard Psalm 95 and it's a song of worship, you might have been, yeah, this, this is good. Verses uh, 1 through 6, they're joyful, they're happy, they're upbeat. Let's, let's stop there. But that's not where he stops. He continues in verses 7 through 11. And verses 7 through 11 are really kind of a rebuke. They're kind of like an, an eye-opener. So he said, a call to engage, uh, you, you lift up your voices to praise me, and, and a call to bow down, to, to, 
to bow and worship before him. But, but then there's a call to hear, a call to hear. You see, I will tell you, I believe you could spend every Sunday for the next however many years lifting up your voices and singing praises to God and, and kneeling down and worshiping him, surrendering before him, but, but never hear him. That's why we read these words. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you, do, as you did in the rebellion. Remember, he's talking to the Jewish people. During the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. As has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt and with whom he was angry for 40 years? You might understand now that we're, we're taking Psalm 95, not those last verses, but we're seeing them as they were mentioned, as they were given to the Hebrew Christians in the book of Hebrews. The writer to the book of Hebrews is convincing the people of a Jewish background that, that Christ is far superior to Moses. And even more, he's saying to them, you need to hear this word. That it is not enough just to say you're a believer. It's not enough just to act like you're a believer. It is vital for you to, if you hear him, if you understand his message for you to give all of yourself to him today. You know, God is a today God. Jesus is a today Savior. So many of us spend a lot of our time worried about the past. We, we think there are things I've done that, that God could never deal with. And some of us are worried about what's going to happen in the future. But, but this passage says over and over today, Today, was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So see that we, that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Why? What is he talking about? You can read it later. I don't have the time to do it today, but Exodus chapter 17 in Exodus chapter 17, we see, and then Numbers chapter 14, we see the, the people of uh, Exodus, the, the people who were in slavery, were brought out of that slavery. Miracle after miracle God did to get them released from 400 years of captivity. And then he provided for them escape through the Red Sea from the Egyptian army. And then he took care of them. And what was the people's response? Complain, complain, complain. I know that doesn't happen to any of us. And because they complain, and you might think, well, God sure was being kind of short-tempered. He, he makes this oath that they, they won't 
No, God was very patient with them, just like he is with all of us. But there is a message here that God is patient, but his patience doesn't last forever. And so if we, we go through the motions over and over and never get to, to bowing down, it's a problem. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those obey, who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on my oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above he says, they shall never enter my rest. Rest, I think, there is, is heaven. Therefore, since it is still, still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, he's quoting Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If you don't remember anything else I said today, remember today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, soften your hearts, open your ears. For if Joshua had given them rest, uh, God would have not spoken about it another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest, <clears throat> just as uh, enters rest from their works, just as God also did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Uh, disobedience for the word of God is alive and active sharper than any two-edged sword it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account therefore since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven Jesus the son of God let us hold firmly to the faith we profess for we do not have a high priest who is able to emphasize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And here's the payoff, verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You know, this morning, I couldn't wait till somebody came to let me in. Jesus came to let you in. There's nothing you've done that makes you unforgivable, unacceptable. You can come and bow down. You can come and surrender. You can come and worship. And that's what he wants today. Today, if you hear his voice, come. You know, God says to us, come, come, come. And so oftentimes we say, no, no, no. Today is the only day you can change. God calls us to relationship, to worship. What will you say to him? Fathers, we think about these things. I pray for us.
to hear these words and <clears throat> for they to, them to move us. Move us not just with our bodies, but with our spirits. I thank you for Jesus coming, making all of this possible that, that we might have a relationship with you. We might be forgiven for our sins. We might have the ability to enter this rest, to enter heaven one day. I pray, Father, for you to help us in this Christmas season not to lose sight of what matters most. I help us, I pray that we wouldn't just praise you with our voices and we wouldn't just show our praise and worship by our actions, but we would even more, we would in our heart of hearts, we would yield to you, we'd surrender, we'd worship you. I thank you for it, in Jesus' name, amen.